Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode. I was reminded as Wendy just hit the record button. Yes. We have this little recorder that we do. Uh, that we do what? What do we do? We record our <laughs> podcast in that little recorder. Right. How about <laughs> I, it? I was remembering when we hadn't pressed the record button once. Well, let me just back up. We used to always have someone with us to make sure that we were doing everything right technologically right, with our recordings. Right. Be- when we were newbies. Yes. And so over time, I think the people that were like our chaperones in recording got a little tired of just sitting listening to us talk right. and kind of said, you guys can do this do yourselves. This on your own, right. Yeah. And so one of our first times doing that had a very tragic outcome you were thinking about. Yes. What was it? We pushed record, but we didn't have a card in the we recorder. Didn't have a, so a, yeah, the SD card. card in the in the recorder. So we went through the whole process of, and it wasn't even an easy one to record. We were, you know, having a lot recall, of mistakes. It was, like, it was it was pretty a good episode, though. Like, I thought we had some good responses to some really good questions. And then... We realized there was no memory card. We no thought we were recording card. and there was nothing. 40-minute episode uh, that is just now... Now out floating in the ether. <laughs> that was a couple of years ago. That, well, yeah. But anyway, we are tracking, right? You're looking. Yep, that's right. We're we recording. See, we're recording. This is official. Yeah. We're not missing out. Is there anything going on with the institute that you want to share? Yes, there is. We have uh, some spots left on our theology of the body and the Marian mystery course, which I'll be teaching live and in person at Black Rock Retreat Center here in Pennsylvania. That is from January 2nd to the 7th, 2022. So if you want to dive deeply into the mystery of the Incarnation, and by that, I know you know what I mean, but the perspective we're taking is really based on the Scripture. In the fullness of time, God sent His Son, born of a woman. What the heck does that mean? Who is this woman? How how is it that God chose a woman to be the vessel, the channel through which the Word would take flesh? I mean, yes, her womb, but what is the mystery of a woman's womb? What does that say about the mystery of existence itself? What does that say about our ultimate destiny? Who is this woman, Mary? Mm. We're going to get past the kind of hyper-pious blue plaster statue ideas of Mary and we're going to dive into this wild woman's mystery. She's a wild woman. Her, and by that, I mean not wild in the horizontal sense. As I often say, if we go wild in the horizontal sense, we end up at a frat party. Mm. But if we go wild in the vertical sense, like Mary and all the saints, we end up in the marriage of the Lamb, and she's the bride. So anyway, all of that to say, this is my favorite course to teach. If you want to dive deeply into that mystery, check out the link. Um, we all have another course coming up at the end of January into the first week of February, hosted, uh, co-hosted by us, the TOB Institute, and Desert Stream Ministries, and this course is called Sexual Integration and Redemption. Uh, again, that need for sexual healing that we, we all have, and it's not just healing in the sense of now we can become better lovers in the marriage bed or something. Not all of us are called to marriage. 
but we all have sexual wounds, wounds in our sexual identity that need to be healed. And yeah. Desert Stream Ministry does a great job doing that. We're teaming up with them. Check out the link to learn more about that course as well. Our first question, always from a patron, this time is from Ben. Hello, Ben. Ben asks, uh, are Adam and Eve saints? What about Cain, Abel, and Seth? If they are saints, was their gaining death in the garden merely the loss of the supernatural gift of immortality or was it also a rupture in their relationship with God, which they later had to repent of to mend their relationship with God so they could die in his grace? Well, Ben here is getting into some deep theological business. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I think, Ben, and I, th and I think this is the Ben that we know. Hello, Ben Fetterman. <laughs> he actually asked this question in our uh, kitchen recently, and we told him to go ahead and put it in the yeah. patron questions. So go ahead. Good job, Ben. Yeah, good job, Ben. <laughs> so, Ben, why don't you and I, since we know each other, why don't you and I have a longer conversation about this sometime? But for the sake of our listeners, let me say this. I'm looking at an icon right now from the Eastern Church. It's hanging on my wall. It's the icon of the resurrection. Uh, just go to Google and type in Eastern icon of the resurrection, of the resurrection, <laughs> Eastern icon of the resurrection, and you will see uh, an image of Christ having come out of the tomb, and he's reaching down into the graves of Adam and Eve in order to pull them out. So this is not just a, a, a nice idea in a religious icon, but the icon reveals the faith of the church. So the faith of the church here, as revealed in this icon, at least it is a certain tradition in the church, there may be other theological traditions out there too, so maybe it's not capital T tradition, maybe it's small t tradition in the church, but it's certainly a vein of thought in the church is that Christ has redeemed our first parents, right? So, and if he has fully redeemed them, they are in heaven now, and everybody in heaven now, guess what they are? Saints. I am not aware of anything in the church, it may be the case, I'm just not aware of it, of any kind of official canonization of our first parents, and there's, there's a lot of, I think there's good reason for that, because there's a lot of mystery surrounding our first parents. Were our first parents a man and a woman named Adam and Eve? Uh, this is the biblical telling of the story, but the biblical telling of the story is full of symbols, right? There, there was an original couple from which we descended, but we don't know what their names really were, right? Uh, Adam means humanity, man, in the sense of the inclusive all of us. And Eve means mother of the living. These are deeply symbolic, significant uh, names in, in that sense. But uh, we, are, we are not bound to believe there was a dude named Adam and a gal named Eve, and there was a talking snake, and they ate a fruit from a tree. All of those are symbols that get to primordial truths about our humanity. So I'm going to leave that at that. Wendy, do you have anything you want to add to this Adam and Eve question? I love that that icon is hanging on the wall in your office right across from where you're sitting to do this recording. And I love looking at that icon 
seeing it as an image of Christ has already descended to the dead. So when he's resurrected, what did he do when he descended to the dead? But bring the light throughout all of human history. Amen. And, and, and he's holding in his hands in this icon our first parents, the origin of human history, and saying it goes all the way. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it's saying. And I, I love that. I love to just think about that, the power of that, the beauty and depth, and just it's the center of everything. Christ has redeemed us. That's the center of everything, and that's, that's the cause for the hope of all humanity. And it reminds me of a line in the Catechism that says, Christ came into the world to restore creation to the purity of its origins. Mm, yes. And this icon of Christ pulling Adam and Eve out from the realm of the dead is precisely telling us that, that what he did worked. Creation is restored to the purity of its origins. Now, we have to accept that. We have to allow that grace to have its way in us because we have freedom, right? God creates us without our freedom. Nobody says, please bring me into existence, but God will never redeem us apart from our freedom. So, hey, here's a suggestion. Let's use our freedom to let God redeem us. Amen. Amen to that. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Uh, he says, Dear Christopher and Wendy, I, a 25-year-old male, ended a long-term relationship just over a year ago, and a significant reason was my former girlfriend's intent on using contraception in marriage. Mm. Shortly after, I came to this podcast for strength, education, and support, and I'm confident in that decision. Thank you for your work and passionate responses to all of us, your listeners. God bless you, brother, for your courage, for seeing the truth and how important that is. Mm -hmm. And I, I just want to say, I commend you. You are, you are right to say, I believe what the church teaches. I see how important it is to a marriage. And you're right to say, if the woman I want to, I'm considering marrying doesn't see that, then I can't consider marrying her. That is, that is a correct assessment of the situation. My question comes about dating apps. In short, do you think it's a good idea? Long version, I recently downloaded a dating app after being against them for so long. And it's the first time it's lasted on my phone for more than 24 hours. I am ready to date again. I want to find a future spouse. But when does it become lustful and wanting a girlfriend? I find myself giving in to temptation and sometimes the desire of having a new relationship and the experiences that come with that seems lustful to me. Thanks for your thoughts on this. Uh, bless you, dear brother. I, I can understand the dilemma. I'm honored that you'd put the question to us. Let me see if I can give you some food for thought. Let me broaden this question because apps per se are simply technology, uh, technology that can, can connect one person with another person. So in as much as that is what an app does, is that in itself a problem? No. Uh, technology to connect one person with another person is not a problem uh, in and of itself. However, that said, you know, in the broad sense, it's not objectively a problem 
if you use technology to find someone to date. However, the way these technologies are employed in the modern world tends towards depersonalization and objectification. And when one is tempted in that direction, uh, apps can kind of, the way they work, you know, you're, you're shown the picture, the person's profile. Um, you can zoom in on mere external qualities and say, well, I don't like her nose. Swipe. Whoa, 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 whoa. That was a person. That was, that, that's, that's a person. That's not just some thing out there that, that you can just disregard as if it was inconsequential. No, that's a person. So the, the danger here is depersonalization and objectification. If one is already inclined that in that direction, has a tendency towards objectification, depersonalization, treating others as objects for our own lustful indulgence, apps are not going to help you. Uh, it's going to be like you know, throwing gasoline on a fire. That said, could a person of virtue use an app to find another person of virtue? Yes, as I already said, that's, that's all a possibility. I really love your honesty here. I love just the the humble recognition of I'm I'm weak. I, I I know I have mixed motives. Maybe sometimes I'm going to this app because I I not because I'm I'm genuinely seek, seeking a true virtuous relationship with another person, but because I'm weak and I have an inclination to overcome my loneliness in a kind of superficial way, uh, brother. Just stay aware of that. Keep that out in the light. Keep your heart exposed to the Lord. Bring the Holy Spirit, uh, welcome the Holy Spirit into those places in your heart where you are wheat and weeds growing together. And this came to me recently on a YouTube video I was filming, and I, I've been thinking about it, that it's it's something we all need to take to heart, that in this reality that there are wheat and weeds growing in all of us. We can have a tendency to think sometimes that we're all weeds and everything going on in our hearts becomes suspicious. We can, on other occasions, have a tendency to think it's all wheat and we don't have discernment because we think it's all fine and good. This is the way God made me. These feelings I have are the way God made me. That's an unreflective life. It's only in holding together the truth that both wheat and weeds are growing in my heart simultaneously, that we can then have the proper sense of discernment. And discernment means saying, Holy Spirit, help me know, am I acting from my weeds here, or am I acting from the wheat? Or is it a combination of both? And if it's a combination of both, which surprise, surprise, it often is, yes. then, then it becomes, Lord, help me not to water the weeds and help me to water the wheat. I don't want to foster where those weeds are. I want to foster where the wheat is. And that becomes a question that John Paul II says, can we really know the difference here? And he says, this is a task that can be carried out, and it is really worthy of the human person. It's a task that can be carried out with the help of God's grace, and it is really worthy of us to, to make that effort to carry that out 
and discern the inner movements of our hearts. I want to share something and I don't want it to come across like some kind of magic trick, but I know that for us, we have seen the value of using holy water to bless things. And it's a way um, that the church has given us this sacramental of um, just inviting God into every aspect mm -hmm. of our lives. So people often will have their homes blessed or the priest blessing their home would be sprinkling and making the cross with holy water right. in their home. And you travel a lot. You always take holy water and bless every hotel room that you stay yep. in. I put a big cross on every TV screen and TV every hotel screen, room because who knows what people have been watching That's on right. those screens. And I douse the bed because <laughs> who knows what's been going on in that bed. Yeah, so there's a sense of just the symbolic that that water symbolizes cleansing, but there are spiritual realities that we also believe there is a, a power of cleansing in holy water yes, that's been yes. blessed. So just the thing I wanted to share was the thought that your computer and your phone could be taken into your time of prayer and great, to take Wendy. holy yep. water, make the sign of the cross over both of them as you are giving the Lord, as we all do, our desires for the future and wanting his will for us above all things to just ask him to protect you from harm through, you know, whatever way you're using this technology and to let it be a channel of his grace. I, again, I don't want to say it's a magic trick, yeah. like now yeah. you're going to find the person because right. you did this. But I just think it it shows God is God and it's he you want to bring a person into your life. And if going on a dating app is a way of trying to cooperate with the Lord in communicating with other human beings who may, in fact, be ones that, you know, the Lord is trying to point you in the direction and, and enable a relationship. Do we know people that have that are married in the church and beautiful marriages that have met that way? Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. So, you know, it, God can work there, but that's what we want our desire to be, that it would be his will. Right. And and I love the suggestion with the holy water because it's a it, it can put your heart in the right disposition. Yes, that's what I would pray. Yeah. This question is from Wesley. Hello, Wesley. Uh, Christopher and Wendy, we love you. God bless you guys with the most special blessing. You guys have been a great blessing in our life and in our marriage. We love you, Wesley. <laughs> My wife and I have been married for four years. We feel we have a very strong marriage. We're happy, strong in our Catholic faith, raising three kids together. We want to grow in all areas continually, but the one area we feel that is lacking is, quote, her intimacy. She, my wife, wants her sexual desire towards me to be stronger and wants to be more loving during sex. We have revealed everything to each other about our past sexual experiences because we wanted to hold nothing back from each other before we got married. When I heard you say this on a podcast, I was so glad to hear I did the right thing to expose my past self. Her first sexual experience was not a good one. She was 14 at the time. There were other sexual partners after that also. She says the times she experienced sexual desire was at the beginning of a relationship with someone new. I feel that in our marriage, she does it to please me. We've been reading Theology of the Body and listening to your podcasts. I long for her intimacy and more of her presence during our lovemaking. We talk about it together rather often now. Mm. And she's 
open to ways to help or resolve whatever the issue may be. Wesley, thank you so much for sharing your heart, sharing this very vulnerable, tender place in your relationship with your wife. We honor that. We honor the two of you. And we're honored that you would entrust this question to us. I, I hope we can offer you some food for thought here that will, will bless you. I, I want to first just say, wow, it's so awesome that you and your wife are talking this through, that you talk about it regularly, as you said. Her desire to grow here, her desire to heal here is beautiful, and it's a sign that grace is already alive and well and flowering in your life. Do not underestimate that. That is for real. And I would just say, as, as one who's been married 26 years, that it's important to have a, a long-term vision here. It's not like you can do this thing or read that book or go to that course, and a year from now, everything will be great. But make peace with the journey, because this is going to be a journey. And I do believe you are right to link some of the difficulties here with your sexual past and her sexual past. So clearly there is a need for healing in these painful memories. And I would guess, again, I, I don't know your wife. I don't know the ins and outs, but I'm just from 26 years of married life and 27 or 8 years of ministry work and pastoral experience. My best guess would be that facing seriously and intentionally in light of the Holy Spirit and His redemptive healing love, facing these memories, facing these wounds, these past experiences, will go a long way towards bringing about the kind of intimacy you both long for in your marital embrace. I would venture to say those, those are the blocks there are resources that I would point you to, again, not as some quick fix, but as a, a, another step in the journey. And here are a couple. We have in our patron community uh, retreats that we offer that have been recorded, and you can have access to them as a patron. I'd, I'd invite you to consider looking at two of those retreats in particular, one that I did with Andrew Comiskey and his team, and another one that I did just recently with Bob Schutz, Dr. Bob Schutz. Both of those retreats were on the topic of sexual healing and redemption. I would invite you to consider going to a weekend, uh, maybe together, maybe separately, uh, with Dr. Bob Schutz. Um, he's, I believe he calls those weekends the healing of the whole person, and you can learn more about those, those retreats and those experiences through the website of the John Paul II Healing Center. We'll put a link in the show notes to that. I would recommend that you prayerfully consider attending together, if possible. You have young children. Uh, don't know that it's possible either for, for either one of you to attend with your young children, but God has all the timing here. It's It's if it can't be now, maybe it can be later. It's all in his hands. He has a plan to bring about this healing. But one thing I would recommend is the course that we are offering 
this February, the first week of February, starts the end of January, with Desert Stream Ministries, and the course is called Sexual Integration and Redemption. And this course will help take people to the roots of those sexual wounds and give them very practical steps in finding healing for those wounds. You can certainly read the books that Dr. Bob Schutz has written. Uh, Andrew Comiskey from Desert Stream has written some books about sexual healing as well. The one on my mind right now, in fact, I have it right here on my desk by Bob Schutz, is called Be Restored, Healing Our Sexual Wounds Through Jesus' Merciful Love. Uh, That's a great resource. And then uh, a book written by Andrew Comiskey that I'd recommend is called Naked Surrender, Coming Home to Our True Sexuality. And we'll put links to those books in the show notes as well. I think you'll, you'll find those helpful. Wendy, what are your thoughts? I'm, I just find myself thinking about um, some of what, uh, actually there was a specific line in his question that kind of struck me where he said his wife remembers feeling sexual desire at the beginning of a relationship with someone new. Yeah, that struck me too. And I think one of the things that um, I think we grow in is kind of our understanding in marriage of of how our kind of whole person um, functions in this sexual relationship in marriage. You know, we've kind of taken it the the realities of sexual union outside the context of marriage and then that kind of becomes our programming our expectation right. there's you know a neurobiologist neurobiologist might say there's sort of pathways formed mm-hmm. in our minds and our thinking and so you know there's there's a beautiful scripture be transformed by the renewing of your mind St. Paul yes. says. And I think that is something that we can really ask the Lord for in this context. Um, when I think about just my experience as a woman, it's an interesting thing to ask yourself about your sexual desire. Because I think we as men and women, or I should say myself as a woman and you as a man, I don't know the stories of everyone, but I have read a few things that kind of make me think my experience isn't unique. We experience desire differently. And I've always sensed that my desire for our union has a, usually more to do with my desire for the, the kind of benefit to our relationship rather than it, at least originating with a, a physical desire. And I don't want to say that as if it's somehow superior. I don't think of it that way. I think it's just the way I'm sort of wired. Mm-hmm. But that there is also physical desire, but it often doesn't kind of make itself known until it's in response to kind of the beginning of our union. Like like the physical response comes later. But I can understand how, you know, in that kind of, it's almost like a fantasy zone we're in when we're contemplating a relationship with someone new. Right. That kind of zone in our brain can trigger a physical yes, desire. Yes, yes. And I think it's connected to kind of this hope for fulfillment of our whole being. And it 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 translates in a certain way into this physical experience. So I don't know if what I'm saying is making sense. What I what I'm trying to hold out there is that there is something 
different and deeper available to us as married couples, but we do need to pray for and seek out that renewal of our minds through the Holy Spirit that gives us that sense of what true desire for one another will look like in our marriage. Yeah, and and I want to add that uh, the way we've been conditioned by the culture to think about sexual desire plays a major role in certain expectations we have Mm -hmm. as well. And I want to say to you as a husband, Wesley, or at least suggest that you shouldn't underestimate the value of your wife expressing her desire. You, You had said it, I sometimes feel that she's... She does it to please me. She does it to please me. And that by that, I'm understanding that maybe she's not having what you would consider a physical desire for the union uh, per se, but lacking that, she's at least saying, well, let's engage in our union uh, because I want to please you. And, and I would suggest, Wesley, that that's something really beautiful. And it shouldn't be necessarily thought of as inferior. We can have these ideas of desire that are programmed into us from the secular culture, from movies, from, you know, scenes of people with passionate physical desires who throw everything off the kitchen table and just go for it. And they, they just, they don't portray reality. And as you were sharing there, Wendy, about your desire for our union has much more to do with the graces we experience there than some kind of physical urge you experience to, that you need to relieve. And there's something very personal about the former and something very impersonal about the latter. Uh, the former being personal in that you desire something more than just a physical urge that you can then feel relieved in our union but you desire the grace that comes from choosing to become one flesh with me. That's, that's a beautiful thing. If, if, I, if, if I were to prefer that you have some mere physical sensation and look at me as the outlet for it, that might have some titillating factor and cause some superficial excitement. But that's not going to reach the deepest level that we're called to reach in a personal union where the two become one flesh in such a way that the deepest layers of the heart are opened and revealed to the other. And and all of that is to say the physical desire shouldn't be downplayed, shouldn't be dismissed as unimportant, but the intimacy we really yearn for can happen whether the physical desire is there to aid it or not. And oftentimes, as you were saying, Wendy, when there is a choice to come together, even in the presence of a lack of that physical desire, there can be an experience of the union that opens layers of the heart in intimacy that becomes a profound grace, and the physical desire can then follow Uh, that is a graced experience. That is an experience of real self-giving. And it's, it's it's a gift. It's a gift to honor. It's a gift 
to welcome. Uh, again, none of that is said to downplay the physical desire, but there's such an overplay of that physical desire in our culture. I just think we need to understand that in a in a proper context and in an integrated personalistic sense, to use John Paul II's term. Yes. Personalistic sense means the integration of arousal, emotion, desire with the dignity of the persons involved in in the union. Yes. I I was also struck, Wesley, in what you said about that you long for her intimacy and more of her presence during intercourse. And I also like what you said, Christopher, about having the long view. Maybe don't put each union under too much of a microscope right, right. because um, they're there are mysterious things happening very gradually sometimes in our hearts and expressing that desire together in prayer, it will bear fruit. And there are occasions when the graces that come to us in our union are really apparent to us and times when it isn't as apparent. And so um, I, I think it's a God-given desire that you you both have for this greater presence and intimacy and the path that comes from both a greater understanding of your own persons and your union and also traveling with the Lord through healings that he wants to bring about of our past experiences. All of that is is a part of the process that leads us to that greater deepening presence during our union. Yeah, it's a great word, and it captures that that idea of, I want to feel her presence more. Um, it captures the, the desire for a real intimacy in the sense of seeing into the other. Mm. And that's where the marital embrace invites us. Uh, there's a lot of, we could say, potent, physically aroused sexual encounters going on in the world that don't lead to intimacy, mm -hmm. uh, that in fact are, are just a physical exchange of pleasure where the heart is really closed to actual intimacy. Conversely, there are experiences between a husband and a wife that might not have come from heightened sexual arousal in the physical sense, but lead to real into-me-see, hmm. that vulnerable openness that allows the other to see into the other's deepest self. And that is, that is, that kind of intimacy is much more delightful and affirming and, uh, uh creates a security in the relationship and a depth in the relationship that mere physical heightened arousal cannot create in itself. Of course, all of it is meant to be integrated, right? Uh, the, the physical sensation, the physical arousal, the physical desire, the emotional longing for closeness, all of that is meant to be integrated. These are the raw materials of love, John Paul II says. And when those raw materials of love are integrated with the dignity of the person, then we have a more integrated, more whole experience of authentic love. But when we just zoom in on those raw materials of love and, and don't allow them to become genuine love, then they can lead 
not to love, but to its opposite as well. So there are many, many layers that need to be held all together to have the integral whole, and that's why we have to have the long view, because nobody ever jumps into marriage and gets it all right right away. It's a long journey, and, and four years in, I remember when we were four years married, and I thought, oh, we got a lot of experience under our belt, but mm. it's re- <laughs> life is long. Uh, marriage is meant to be a lifetime, and there are new experiences, new caverns of the other's heart that you can enter into, and they never end. So make peace with the journey, keep going, and and allow the healings and purifications to unfold in God's way, in God's timing. Just keep saying yes. And I feel led here to to just close with a prayer for all married couples out there that their their union would become a true experience of real into me see. So let's pray. Yes. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, I ask a special grace upon Wesley and his wife since they asked this question. And I ask for graces on all married couples listening to this podcast that the union in one flesh, the marital embrace, would be truly that, an embrace that renews our marriage commitment, the commitment to love one another freely, totally, faithfully, and open to the blessing of life, a union that is open to welcoming you, the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, is of its very nature, a union that renews the marriage bond at its deepest level. I ask for that grace. That would become a lived experience by couples, that the union in one flesh would be truly a deepening of the marriage bond and a source of grace, a grace of healing, grace of purification, a grace of mercy that allows forgiveness where we need to offer it to one another. Uh, the grace of humility that allows us to recognize our need for growth, our need for healing, and the grace of accepting the mystery of the union. This is one, a biggie for me, because I know because I've made this my living to study and teach about God's plan for sexuality, that can sometimes be a, uh, a block even to, 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 the mystery of it. Just St. Paul says that the union of man and woman in one flesh is a great mystery. And sometimes we're afraid of mysteries. We want to dominate. We want to control. We don't want to be overwhelmed by a mystery we can't control. And that is a recipe not for real intimacy, but that's a recipe for dysfunction. So I pray, Lord, that wherever we have those tendencies to dominate, to control uh, our sexual experiences, We ask for the grace of surrender to the mystery that is the divine love we yearn to participate in. This is your promise to us, Lord. This is your gift to us, Lord, that marriage would be a real participation in the abyss of your infinite, passionate love, that human eros would be an expression with an expression of and an encounter with divine eros. This is our prayer for all the married couples who are listening to this podcast and for all the people listening who may one day be married. Let it be, Lord, according to your will. 
Amen. Amen. We ask that if you were blessed by this podcast episode, that you hit that share button to help us expand our reach in this podcast. And we invite you to keep the questions coming. We're so grateful for you being part of our podcast family. May you know it deep in your heart that you are a gift, an unrepeatable gift, an indispensable gift, and an irreplaceable gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Thank you.